0: Chapter 20. Of a Mind That Found Itself by Clifford Whittingham Beers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Read by Tom Daly. Chapter 20. While my inventive operations were in progress, I was chafing under the unjust and certainly unscientific treatment to which I was being subjected. In spite of my close confinement in vile cells, for a period of over three weeks I was denied a bath. I do not regret this deprivation, for the attendants, who at the beginning were unfriendly, might have forced me to bathe in water which had first served for several other patients. Though such an unsanitary and disgusting practice was contrary to rules, it was often indulged in by the lazy brutes who controlled the ward. I continued to object to the inadequate portions of food served me. On Thanksgiving day, for I had not succeeded in escaping and joining in the celebration at home, an attendant, in the unaccustomed role of a ministering angel, brought me the usual turkey and cranberry dinner, which, on two days a year, is provided by an intermittently generous state. Turkey, being the rara avis for the imprisoned, it was but natural that I should desire to gratify a palate long insulted. I wished not only to satisfy my appetite, but to impress indelibly a memory which for months had not responded to so agreeable a stimulus. While lingering over the delights of this experience, I forgot all about the ministering angel, but not for long. He soon returned. Observing that I had scarcely touched my feast, he said, "'If you don't eat that dinner in a hurry, I'll take it from you.' "'I don't see what difference it makes to you whether I eat it in a hurry or take my time about it,' I said. "'It's the best I've had in many a day, and I have a right to get as much pleasure out of it as I can.' "'We'll see about that,' he replied, and snatching it away he stalked out of the room, leaving me to satisfy my hunger on the memory of vanished luxuries.' thus did a feast become a fast under this treatment i soon learned to be more noisy than my neighbours i was never without a certain humour in contemplating not only my surroundings but myself and the demonstrations in which i began to indulge were partly in fun and partly by way of protest in these outbursts i was assisted and at times inspired by a young man in the room next mine He was about my own age, and was enjoying the same phase of exuberance as myself. We talked and sang at all hours of the night. At the time we believed that the other patients enjoyed the spice which we added to the restricted variety of their lives, but later I learned that a majority of them looked upon us as the worst of nuisances. We gave the doctors and attendants no rest, at least not intentionally whenever the assistant physician appeared we upbraided him for the neglect which was then our portion at one time or another we were banished to the bullpen for these indiscretions and had there been a viler place of confinement still our performances in the bullpen undoubtedly would have brought us to it at last the doctor hit upon the expedient of transferring me to a room more remote from my inspiring and i may say Conspiring companion. Talking to each other ceased to be the easy pastime it had been, so we gradually lapsed into a comparative silence, which must have proved a boon to our wardmates. The megaphonic bullpen, however, continued with irregularity but annoying certainty to furnish its quota of noise. On several occasions I concocted plans to escape, and not only that but also to liberate others. That I did not make the attempt was the fault, or merit perhaps, of a certain night-watch, whose timidity, rather than sagacity, impelled him to refuse to unlock my door early one morning, although I gave him a plausible reason for the request. This night-watch, I learned later, admitted that he feared to encounter me single-handed, and on this particular occasion well might he, for during the night I had woven a spider web net in which I intended to enmesh him. Had I succeeded, there would have been a lively hour for him in the violent ward. Had I failed, there would have been a lively hour for me. There were several comparatively sane patients, especially my elated neighbor, whose willing assistance I could have secured. Then the regular attendants could have been held prisoner in their own room if indeed we had not in turn overpowered them and transferred them to the bullpen where the several victims of their abuse might have given them a deserved dose of their own medicine this scheme of mine was a prank rather than a plot i had an inordinate desire to prove that one could escape if he had a mind to do so later i boasted to the assistant physician of my unsuccessful attempt This boast he evidently tucked away in his memory. My punishment for harmless antics of this sort was prompt in coming. The attendants seemed to think their whole duty to their closely confined charges consisted in delivering three meals a day. Between meals he was a rash patient who interfered with their leisure. Now one of my greatest crosses was their continued refusal to give me a drink when I asked for it except at mealtime or on those rare occasions when i was permitted to go to the washroom i had to get along as best i might with no water to drink and that too at a time when i was in a fever of excitement my polite requests were ignored impolite demands were answered with threats and curses and this war of requests demands threats and curses continued until the night of the fourth day of my banishment then the attendants made good their threats of assault. That they had been trying to goad me into a fighting mood I well knew, and often accused them of their mean purpose. They brazenly admitted that they were simply waiting for a chance to slug me, and promised to punish me well as soon as I should give them a slight excuse for doing so. On the night of November twenty fifth, 1902, The head attendant and one of his assistants passed my door they were returning from one of the dances which at intervals during the winter the management provided for the nurses and attendants while they were within hearing i asked for a drink of water it was a carefully worded request but they were in a hurry to get to bed and refused me with curses then i replied in kind if i come there "'I'll kill you,' one of them said. "'Well, you won't get in if I can help it,' I replied, as I braced my iron bedstead against the door. My defiance and defences gave the attendants the excuse for which they had said they were waiting, and my success in keeping them out for two or three minutes only served to enrage them. By the time they had gained entrance they had become furies. One was a young man of twenty-seven. Physically he was a fine specimen of manhood. Morally he was deficient, thanks to the dehumanizing effect of several years in the employ of different institutions whose officials countenanced improper methods of care and treatment. It was he who now attacked me in the dark of my prison room. The head attendant stood by, holding a lantern which shed a dim light. The door once open, I offered no further resistance— first i was knocked down then for several minutes i was kicked about the room struck kneeed, and choked my assailant even attempted to grind his heel into my cheek in this he failed for i was there protected by a heavy beard which i wore at the time but my shins elbows and back were cut by his heavy shoes and had i not instinctively drawn up my knees to my elbows for the protection of my body I might have been seriously, perhaps fatally, injured. As it was, I was severely cut and bruised. When my strength was nearly gone, I feigned unconsciousness. This ruse alone saved me from further punishment, for usually a premeditated assault is not ended until the patient is mute and helpless. When they had accomplished their purpose— they left me huddled in a corner to wear out the night as best I might, to live or die for all they cared. Strange as it may seem, I slept well, but not at once. Within five minutes I was busily engaged writing an account of the assault. A trained war correspondent could not have pulled himself together in less time. As usual, I had recourse to my bit of contraband lead pencil. This time, a pencil which had been smuggled to me the very first day of my confinement in the bullpen by a sympathetic fellow-patient. When he had pushed under my cell door that little implement of war, it had loomed as large in my mind as a battering-ram. Paper I had none, but I had previously found walls to be a fair substitute. I therefore now selected and wrote upon a rectangular spot, about three feet by two, which marked the reflection of a light in the corridor just outside my transom. The next morning, when the assistant physician appeared, he was accompanied as usual by the guilty head attendant, who, on the previous night, had held the lantern. "'Doctor,' I said, "'I have something to tell you,' and I glanced significantly at the attendant. Last night I had a most unusual experience.' I have had many imaginary experiences during the past two years and a half, and it may be that last night's was not real. Perhaps the whole thing was phantasmagoric, like what I used to see during the first months of my illness. Whether it was so or not, I shall leave you to judge. It just happens to be my impression that I was brutally assaulted last night. If it was a dream, it is the first thing of the kind that ever left visible evidence on my body. With that, I uncovered to the doctor a score of bruises and lacerations. I knew these would be more impressive than any words of mine. The doctor put on a knowing look, but said nothing, and soon left the room. His guilty subordinate tried to appear unconcerned, and I really believe he thought me not absolutely sure of the events of the previous night, or at least, unaware of his share in them. End of chapter 20